Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Acts chapter 16, let's get there. Um, Over the last few weeks together, We've been looking at the second missionary journey of Paul, and uh, his team is comprised of Silas and Timothy and Luke. It's a, it's a pretty solid team of uh, missionaries that cross over the Aegean Sea and go into Philippi. And what we see is this is the first European missions trip that's been, that's been taken, uh, as far as we know, at this point in history. And along the way, things don't quite go as Paul would have anticipated them based on his previous missionary experiences. Um, And he finds a key person named Lydia, and he shares the gospel with her. Uh, She gets saved. Her whole household gets saved. They get baptized. And so uh, very exciting thus far in our story. Uh, But then he came, last week we talked about he encountered a, a, a damsel, a woman, who was possessed with a spirit of divination. We talked about the fact that 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 meant that she was a soothsayer. She could foretell the future. She had a thriving business um, helping people see into the future, get a hold of hidden truths. And so if that sounds intriguing to you, uh, it is fairly intriguing and it's fairly weird. Uh, Go back and listen to last week's message and check that out. Now, uh, this woman... uh, this damsel, we never get her name, uh, she, did, she did make good money, and she made her master's money as well. And so uh, they were doing pretty good, all right? Uh, they, were, uh, they were wealthy, perhaps. It says that they got much gain from the soothsaying and the divination business. Now, after several days of this woman uh, following Paul around... Um, he has to address a really awkward situation. Okay, so you have this woman that's possessed with an evil spirit, and she's marching around and following Paul around and and proclaiming a a truth. Okay, so let's look at what was being said here. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, this is Luke's record, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High which show unto us the way of salvation, and this did she many days. And so I want to point out something really interesting here, and I think is is very applicable, and I didn't get to spend much time on this last time, so I want to point it out now. Paul didn't have a problem with what this woman was saying. Okay, he didn't have a problem with what she was saying, because actually, even though she was an evil person, possessed by a spirit, wicked in every regard, We good? Okay. Even though she was not following after God, she was preaching a godly message, which is really, really strange. Now, I want to point out, Paul didn't have a problem with her doctrine. He had a problem with her desire to mingle and undermine God's authority and associate it with satanic authority. That was a problem. That was a problem for Paul. Her message was a correct message. But her purposes, they weren't. Now here's the point. This damsel reminds all of us of an important truth. Right doctrine doesn't mean right heart. 
Right doctrine doesn't mean right heart. Bible knowledge, subscription to traditional doctrines, or the right philosophy of ministry means nothing to the one who isn't submitted to the authority of Jesus Christ. It's all, it's all vanity. It's all vanity. And what I, what I want to suggest to this room, I know most of you, there's a desire to have Bible knowledge among the growing believers in Kaya. There's a desire to be in D2. There's a desire to move on and be a part of LFBI and learn about systematic and dispensational theology. Learn about how to be a missionary. Learn about church history and grow in your knowledge. But I want to point something out to you. If every moment of your life isn't devoted to obeying and submitting to the authority of Jesus Christ, all of that learning and all of that growing is absolutely vain. And I've seen men and women grow in their knowledge year after year and come into their 40s and 50s and be able to explain to you deep things of God's Word and tell you all the reasons why everyone ought to be sharing the message of Jesus Christ and yet they're miserable individuals. The intimacy with Jesus Christ has completely waned away in their life. And they've got a knowledge set, but effective, effectively they've denied the power thereof. And we don't want to be those types of people because in the, if you're in that place, you're no different than the damsel, at least in that regard. And so we ought to be very cautious of the way that we proceed in our faith, intimacy with Christ, and obedience to his authority is absolutely crucial. Now, because this woman was mingling truths, right? So on one hand, she was known as this possessed woman who could divine spirits, who followed after satanic authorities. On the other hand, she's preaching a gospel message. What she was doing was mingling the authorities in the mind of the community. People would look at her and be absolutely confused by who she is and who she's following. After several days of this, Paul is just fed up. And he turns around and he rebukes this woman and he rebukes the spirit and the spirit leaves. That's what happens. Now, that doesn't go uncontested. That act against satanic authorities does not go uncontested. And that's what our story is about today. Let's, let's look on. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and he came out the same hour. Now Paul's decision to expel the demon from this damsel, it was not well received by her bosses. It was not well received. And they took this as a direct attack on them. Look at verse 19. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone. Right? In other words, in other words the, the aspect of their business that was absolutely crucial for them to make money had now fled away. They caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrates. Now listen to me. This is what we need to understand. The world is willing to ignore you as a Christian as long as your beliefs don't infringe on their institutions. Our world, our society, our culture in America is such 
that people are not going to have a problem with you. The lost world is not going to have a problem with your faith. As long as what you preach and as long as what you live does not infringe upon their cultural and social identities. And you will pose absolutely no threat to them as long as you keep your mouth shut. See, the world is essentially unconcerned with Christians who don't speak up, who don't declare the, declare the Christ that they follow, who don't have an agenda. The problem is that for the missions-minded believer, there absolutely is an agenda and there is absolutely something to preach. And when the agenda of the gospel penetrates enemy lines, the world responds in force. In aggression. And that's where we're going to start today. The world responds to the gospel message with aggression. That's what they do. If the gospel of Jesus in any way infringes on the classroom setting, then you know for a fact that someone's going to respond explosively or condescendingly. You know that. Many of you have experienced that in your classrooms, whether the college classroom or or the high school setting, you spoke up for the name of Jesus Christ and you were shut down. Someone someone made you to feel stupid. Or at least you know that that's an ongoing threat against you. That if I speak up in this environment, I know I'll be rejected. If the gospel enters the workplace, then someone will disdain you for it. And you may even silently be putting your job at risk. If the gospel enters the family environment, then someone will treat you coldly and perhaps others will treat you combatively. If the gospel enters the public arena, then you risk the chance that you'll be shouted down and called unreasonable or backwards or crude. In our story, Paul desires to bring Christ's uh, name into prominence that he might be glorified. And the residual impact on these men results in absolute aggression. By the end of this story, we're going to see that manifest. See, the gospel encroachment puts Paul and Silas at risk for personal and societal rejection. And and today's message is called the unbreakable and unshakable mission minded believer that's what this message is about and and I want to challenge you as we look at this story I want to challenge you to consider whether or not you're actually unshakable or unbreakable in your faith and what are the aspects of the world that pose a threat to you areas of life where you are afraid of being rejected or treated poorly because of what you preach Now this comes up over and over again. This topic comes up over and over again in Acts. And we see it again in Acts chapter 19. I don't know if you know this story. But in Acts chapter 19, we see a similar situation arise in Ephesus where Paul, preaching, begins to impact the merchant's community. Uh, There's a large community in Ephesus of of people who, uh, they make these these, uh, pocket-sized, you know, metallic idols that people can carry around. And this is a thriving business in Ephesus. 
And there's this man named Demetrius who's particularly, uh, has, a, has a strong business, uh, and, and he does really well making these, these uh, idols to Diana, this goddess. And when the gospel begins to impact his work, and it begins to impact his checkbook, he decides to speak up. And this is what Acts chapter 19 says about the situation. You can go and read about it yourself later on. Verse 28, 28 says, And when they, that means the community, heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So key point number one. Missions-minded Christians will always risk exclusion and rejection. It's a, it's a fact of who we are. Missions-minded Christians will always risk cultural, social, and religious exclusion and rejection again and again and again. And it's the story of the church over the last 2,000 years. And the thing about that is that, that, that most Christians in America have no idea what it really means to be rejected. I mean, in many regards, we, we have sensed uh, the, the, the tide is turning, right? We've felt that there's a political agenda, perhaps, or a social agenda working against Christianity. But because of our liberties and because of the way that this country was established, in many ways we've been protected from the type of rejection that most Christians have seen over the last 2,000 years. Praise God for that. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. I don't want Kaya to misunderstand or confuse or be unprepared for a hostility against you that is rapidly growing. And the people in this room, regardless, I, I have no desire to be prophetic in this regard. But I want to tell you that the people in this room, you young people, you young believers, you young proclaimers of the gospel, are, like, are likely to face a rejection that no other believers have ever faced on this continent. And you must be prepared for that fact. You've got to be prepared for it. The question is, do you have the audacity to not let rejection and exclusion bother you. You know, I can honestly tell you that in every profession that I've ever been in, whether it be in, you know, in the marketing world, or whether it be as a, as a teacher, every profession that I've ever been in, I've faced rejection from coworkers for my faith. I've been rejected culturally, some of you know that, that at least I used to be an artist, right? And I still in many ways associate myself with the culture of artists. And I have on many occasions been, been classified as irrelevant and heavy-handed in my faith by artists who don't agree with what I believe. The majority of my family has literally, I, I can't explain it any other way than, than they've divorced me. Three quarters of my family won't even speak to me. 
because of my decision to follow Jesus Christ and to proclaim the message of the gospel. You know, most recently I've faced rejection from Christian friends who shame me for holding to the fact that the gospel is our best tool for change in this world. Even Christians. Even Christians want to reject me because of my emphasis on the gospel message, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ over, over every other, other aspect of social reform that they want to subscribe to. No, brothers and sisters, we're going to face rejection. And it's coming in hot. And I can't prepare you enough for that. You know, the world is talking about cancel culture. But cancel culture is nothing new for Christians. And in the last days, we have to be clear in our resolve. If we're going, if we're going to withstand the sifting, then we have to be strong in our resolve. Every aggression from Satan comes hand in hand with accusation. And here in our story, the masters of the damsel begin to stir up the crowd and they bring Paul and Silas before the rulers of the city and charge them openly. Verse 19 says, And the master saw the hope of their gains was gone. They caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. So what was the complaint against Paul and Silas? I want, I want to put in front of you today that the complaint is very similar to the one that we face. The pl- complaint is as follows. They trouble our city. They trouble our city. The first attack, the first accusation, appealed to the emotional impact the gospel message was having on the people of Philippi. The emotional impact. They indict Paul and Silas for stirring the people up, causing them to question and debate. People were hearing the gospel for the very first time, and it was coming in conflict with things and ideas that they had held to for a really long time. And as the individual began to wrestle with that, emotions were stirred. People began talking. People began meeting and discussing this strange message that Paul was teaching. People were becoming riotous in nature. That's that's literally what we can imply from what was being said here. The gospel message is divisive. The gospel message is divisive because it classifies human behavior as wicked and it declares Christ as the only way. See, it's the exclusivity of Jesus Christ that has always been a problem for idolaters. The concept that he is the only way to God. That's always been a problem to idolaters. Which is, is the society that we live in is not a Christian society. You recognize that, right? You understand that America is not a Christian nation. It's an idolatrous nation. We worship many gods. In many regards, it's not any different than the Hindu, than the Hindu society. There's many, many parallels. You know, this is why so often when preaching the gospel... People will respond so intensely to the name of Jesus. 
Because they know deep down that he is the authority that challenges all their authorities. So here's our key point. The world hates the gospel because it unsettles their comforts and habits. Key point number two. The world hates the gospel because it unsettles their comforts and their habits. And you know that, right? You know that that's true in the classroom. You know that that's true in your workplace. You know that's true among your family members. It unsettles them. It disturbs their comforts. And it impacts the way that they feel. And for some people, it incites flight. For some people, it incites fight. And you're going to face all of those responses. You're going to face them. And you will be rejected for it. The other thing that they accuse Paul and Silas of is disturbing the laws and the cultures of the people. It says they teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. So key point number two, the world hates the gospel because it unsettles their cultures and identities. You know, the Romans had long established their pantheon of gods and their forms of spirituality. I mean, there's volumes and volumes. There's no other society that's been studied the way the Roman society has been studied. I mean, there's, there's book upon book upon book on Roman culture, spirituality, and identity. You can read about it for the rest of your life. This is a proud people with strong traditions and strong customs. These, these people would protest anything that seemed to threaten that Roman identity. It's a big deal to them. The fact that they were Roman was a big deal. The same way you can imagine for a second in the 80s the way people felt about being American during the, admin, the, the Reagan administration, right? right? This, is, this, is the, this is the era of like, uh, what's, the, what's the communist movie that came out with, um, with Patrick Swayze? What's that? Red, Red Dawn. Red Dawn. The era of Red Dawn and Rocky. <laughs> right? The way people felt patriotic. And they, uh, they associated themselves so much with the identity of being American. I mean, that's, that's the way Romans were. And they took that very seriously. And we see very similar protests to the one we see here in our story. We see similar protests against Christianity in our world today. See, the message of the gospel is often received as an attack against secular morality, religion, and social constructs. That's how it's perceived. See, the world wants to be free to live and do on their terms without being impacted by radical notions that a man rose from the dead. Right? Because if a man rose from the dead, if that story's true, then it has severe implications for the way that we live and our liberalities. If a God-man came to earth lived a perfect life, died and rose again. That absolutely infringes on every single person in America's liberalities. You cannot do and be whatever you want to do and be if that is a truth, if that actually happened. People don't like that. Now listen, all these accusations, oh, you, you trouble our city. Uh, you're disturbing our cultures. See, these accusations, you know what? They're bias. 
and they're unfair and they're misguided but they're true that's what we do these men aren't wrong because I can't tell, if I want to do anything with my life I want to trouble Kansas City And I want to disturb the cultures and the identities that are here. I want to infringe upon people's personal liberalities. That's what I want to do. And when the world doesn't respond rightly, you know what they do? They don't know what else to do. They respond by applying the hand of persecution. Yeah, That's what they've always done. That's what they've always done. Verse 22. The world's abuse. The multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes. They tore the clothes off Paul and Silas's back and, and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. They were beaten. They were whipped. Their backs were bloody and raw. Can you imagine? Ain't nobody in this room ever faced that. And they're thrown into stocks. They've got limited movement. You can imagine for a second having your back against the cold, hard surface after being whipped and beaten, having your feet restrained. You know, the Bible says, the Bible says that precious are the feet of those that preach the gospel of peace. Precious are the feet. You know, our agenda as Christians is to move our feet. It's to go from place to place. There's nothing worse that you could do to a man like Paul than put his feet in stocks. Nothing worse you could do. The beating, nothing. The whips, nothing. But restrain his feet, That'd be tough for him. That'd be tough for him. And so there they are. They're sitting in this, this dank prison cell, cell with their, their backs beaten. This is what the world does. This is what the world does. Now note, Paul and Silas, they weren't protesters. Because protest, that's no threat. They weren't political activists, because political activists, they hold no threat to Satan. These were preachers. They didn't march in the streets or incite riotous behavior. They spoke words of forgiveness and peace. Their int intention wasn't to, to rob the Romans of their comforts or habits or cultures or identity. That wasn't their intention. See, when that happens, it's only a byproduct of Christ's changing work. That wasn't their intention. So what was the sin in the eyes of the Roman magistrates? Listen, they said the gospel message is not lawful. The phrase not lawful is certainly a phrase that many missionaries have heard over and over and over again over the centuries. Can you imagine how many times a man like William Carey would have heard, it's not lawful for you to be here? 
or a man like Hudson Taylor would hear, it's not lawful for you to be here. Or a man like James Fife would hear, it's not lawful for you to be here. See, this is a message that Christians hear over and over and over again. Time and time again throughout the ages, words like unlawful, not permitted, irrational, dangerous, stupid, backwards, bigoted. These are terms that come with the territory. Many Christians in 2020 are working through what it means to be reviled and treated with shame and hostility. So what's the answer? What's the answer? What's the answer going to be? I mean, what I'm telling you is that this is the line of delineation between nominal Christians and evangelical believers. Bible-believing, Bible-toting, gospel-believing believers. This is the line of delineation. What are you going to do when people treat you with hostility or dislike what you believe? What are you going to do? How can we endure without compromise? How can we avoid uh, 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 conceding or softening our message? How do we keep our mission and our Bible as we move throughout this life? I'm going to tell you the secret. Are you ready for the secret? The secret to having an unbreakable and unshakable missions mindset. You want to hear it? Okay, you need to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And look at verse 11. And you need to have your pen ready. And you need to be ready to underline. See, here's the secret. This is the secret that Paul had. This is the secret that Silas had. These are the words of Jesus. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So here there's three things that you need to know. There is a mindset that comes with knowing who you represent. Underline the words for my sake. For my sake. For my sake. For Christ's sake. For the sake and the name and the glory of Jesus Christ is why I do and why I breathe and why I live and and where my purpose lies. It's for his sake. I know who I represent. And that sets me free from the slavery of the institutions that surround me. See, today's slavery is absolutely ideology. The ideology of the world is our contemporary slavery. And they want to own you. And so they've got all these traps in social media, traps to compartmentalize you and to put you where you belong and to seal away the truth of Jesus Christ or or to neutralize it. And when they come at you with hostility and accusation and they revile you, you you need to remember who you serve. 
Two, there's a mindset that comes with knowing where you go to when you die. The passage says, great is your reward in heaven. See, there's a, there's a mindset with know, knowing that no matter what happens to me, my eternity is sealed and set. So whether someone curses me, someone calls me a bigot, someone beats me, God forbid, or someone kills me, I have no fear. Three, there's a mindset that comes with knowing the company that you keep. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. I can know in my knower that every generation of believer that's come before me, that's held to that, that, that scripture and held to that message and followed that man, that every one of them have faced the things that I'm facing. I'm in good company. This isn't anything new. This is what Christians have endured from the beginning. Key point. This is a long one. So, again, the PowerPoint is online on the Kaya website. You can grab that. If we miss something, you can go back or you can take a picture. But listen to me. This key point is very, very important. Everything culminates here. While the world perceives the gospel as a threat, the mission-minded Christian concludes the world itself poses no real threat. You're a threat to them. But if you know who you serve, you know your eternal salvation is sure, and you know that you've got comrades with you, they pose no threat. Do as you will. I mean, I don't see Paul and Silas contesting these Roman magistrates. They're not fighting for their rights. Now later on we'll see Paul say, hey, I'm a Roman. But I would suggest that the only reason he brings that fact up is because he's, he is protecting the Roman centurion who set him free. And he's concerned about his feet not being in stocks so he can go and preach the gospel. Those would be his only real reasons because the truth is we know for a fact that Paul's not afraid to get beat down. We know that. That's, that's not a concern for him. No, no, no. The world poses no real threat. In 1949, the communists formed the People's Republic of China and expelled all Christian missionaries. See, the line of thinking was that Christianity represented the imperial West's desire to impress itself upon the cultures, identities, and politics of China. They were convinced that Christianity was a subtle form of Western oppression. That's how they saw it. That's how they saw Christianity. They believed if they restrained the Christians, that eventually Christianity would die, would just disappear. So they were brutal in their persecutions. Chairman Mao created the great proletarian cultural revolution. From 1966 to 1976, massive brutalities were executed on Christians everywhere in China. And they were forced into de de dedication and veneration of Mao Zedong. 
Church property, property was confiscated. And even those churches that were registered as official churches of China were persecuted. In 1979, Jimmy Carter brokered a deal that allowed Bibles and freedom of worship back into China. For several decades, the underground church in China was given some breathing room and were even given opportunities to own property and worship openly, and the number of Christians in China grew over several decades to 2.5% of the population. But recently, just recently, as of 2019, within the last year, Chinese believers are facing what they are describing as the worst crackdown since Chairman Mao. Pastors and worshipers are being arrested for inciting subversion. Sound familiar? Inciting subversion. A crime that carries a penalty of up to 15 years in prison. Particularly in the South, churches are being closed. Christians are being dispersed, imprisoned, a quote from a, a pastor in an article in The Guardian says this, the Chinese Communist Party wants to be the God of China and the Chinese people, but according to my Bible, there is only, there's only one God. And listen to, listen to this statement. The government, this is what the pastor says, the government is scared of They're scared of the churches. They're scared of Christians. Why? Because they know that Christianity has the power to alter a society. And that it liberates. And that it puts down oppression. And it eradicates racism. And it propagates hope and freedom. Which is not what Satan wants. The article goes on to say, that they, the underground Christians, maintain contact through encrypted platforms. On New Year's Eve, 300 people joined an online service, some from their homes, others from cars or workplaces to pray for 2019. Others gather in small groups in restaurants and, parking, and, and, and parks. And one member, one Christian, a student, who was sent back to Guangzhou, I think that's how you say it, Guangzhou, he said this, listen to me, that he preaches the gospel to the police that monitor him. So now the question is for us. Are you the type of Christian that speaks a gospel message that unsettles satanic strongholds around you? Is that how you're perceived? Hey, listen to what missionary William Carey says as we close. Though the superstitions of the heathen were a thousand times stronger than they are. And the example of the Europeans, a thousand times worse. We know we're surrounded by bad American, American examples, right? We can, we can agree with that. Though I were deserted by all and persecuted by all, yet my faith, fixed on the sure word, would rise above all obstructions and overcome every trial. God's cause will triumph. Do you have an unbreakable and unshakable mindset as it concerns the mission? Perhaps over the last few weeks or months, you have, you have seen yourself afraid of the hostility that surrounds you 
Maybe you've grown more afraid recently. Perhaps you've caught yourself appeasing the culture out of fear. I better say this or I better say that. Maybe the gospel message has decreased in you. It's time to take up the yoke of Christ. See, when the enemy is the most hostile and the darkness seems to be encroaching evermore, it is at that moment that the light of Jesus Christ shines most brightly. See, what we feel right now, right? The reviling and the bigotry and the hostility and the frustrations and the darkness, we feel it. We can feel it encroaching. It's palatable, isn't it? You can feel it. It's, it's almost tactile. It surrounds us everywhere we go, every time we get online, everything we read, when we walk on the street, we're concerned about people's perceptions of us. This is a prison that I don't live in. And it's in that environment that the gospel message of Jesus Christ has the potential to be the greatest threat. But you've got to embrace that fact. That's got to be alive in you. And if this morning you recognize that there's been something in you that's made you afraid to preach boldly. There's something in you that has, has caused you to observe and be a respecter of men. Let's repent of that today. Let's deal with that. Because you were made to be a threat to this world. Amen. Not a co-conspirator. A threat. Not through protesting. Unless the gospel message is your protest. Let's unsettle the world. In the last of the last days, when the darkness is closing in, who are we going to be? We've got to send missionaries. Do you understand that? That's not something we just want to talk about. We've got, we've got people to see. But that'll never happen if there's fear that resides inside you. You're going to be rejected, believer. It comes with the territory. It comes with the territory. So as we close in worship, listen to me. Let's, let's pray. And some of you, you know you need to come forward. Listen to me. You know you need to come forward and you know you need to deal with this. You have had fear in your heart that you need to deal with. You've held back on the gospel message and it's time you deal with it. Now listen to me. There's some of you in this room. You're hearing what I'm saying and it sounds so radical to you. And the reason is because you've never actually put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never said to yourself that I need to repent. I need to turn away from my sin. I need to let go of my fears and embrace Jesus Christ, the Savior. You've never done that. And if that's you, you need to come forward today and you need to, you need to have someone sit down with you and open the Bible and express to you the true and saving message of Jesus Christ. You need that today. But if you are a believer and you know that you, you have let the world unsettle you and you should be unsettling it, you should come forward for that purpose as well. Deal with that. I love you guys. I love you. Let's be effective for the gospel together as a family. Let's be the soldiers that we were made to be. Let's be that. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we, 
We thank you for the testimony of Paul and Silas, and we thank you for the, the testimony that they'll be to us again in the second part of this message. But God, I just want to take a moment, and I want to acknowledge the, the, the fact that, Lord, sometimes I'm afraid of what people think of me. And I'm, I'm afraid of what, if I, if I speak the gospel in its plainness, that that's going to be met with rejection and anger and hostility from people that I love and people that I encounter from day to day. God, if I'm honest with you, I know that sometimes I step back and I hide in the shadows because I'm afraid. And God, I ask that you would change that in me and that I would function the way I see Paul and Silas function here, with fearlessness, believing that I'm actually the one that's a threat to the world, that I have the ability in the gospel message to unsettle all of the, the, the wicked and worldly institutions that surround me, that I have the ability through leading one person to Jesus Christ to erupt the third heaven in celebration and to invite power into the world that I live in. One salvation can, can change everything. Lord, use me this week to see one person converted for your namesake. Use me. Lord, help us as we all deal with these convictions today. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. That today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in His Word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.li.com.